The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. A big beat for Disney. The company major gains at theme parks, a sharp rise in streaming subscribers, and billions more in cost-cutting than expected. But will it be enough to offset the ad declines in legacy media? We'll debate that. Plus, obesity breakthrough, the FDA approving Eli Lilly's blockbuster drug Monjaro for weight loss, paving the way for a pop in prescriptions. The details and the impact for the sector coming up. And later, the Chartmaster is here with a new call on crude and energy stocks. will give us the long and short of his technical take straight ahead. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Carter Worth, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal. We start off with Disney earnings. Shares of the entertainment giant slightly higher in the after hours, beating earnings estimates and raising its cost-cutting target revenues, uh, though did fall short of expectations. Uh, CNBC's Julie Borson spoke with CEO Bob Iger in just last hour about the quarter and the future of ESPN and much more. Julia, what's the latest? Well, Melissa, Disney reporting a big beat in earnings thanks to expanding its cost-cutting target by $2 billion to $7.5 billion. The company also dramatically reducing its losses in its direct-to-consumer division, while its subscribers in that division were a big beat. CEO Bob Iger announcing in our interview that they are launching a beta test of Disney Plus integrated with Hulu next month. Take a listen. We do expect subscriber growth to continue, but we're mostly focused now on delivering profitability by the end of fiscal 24. You know, we had a great quarter, as you just noted, adding 7 million core Disney Plus subs. That was really the result of great content, particularly three strong movies, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Elemental and Little Mermaid. Disney Plus is proving to be extremely popular and in demand, and we feel very bullish about its future. Disney's commitment to cost-cutting was one reason that Nelson Peltz dropped his proxy battle back in February, but that appears to perhaps be restarting with former Marvel Entertainment Chair Ike Perlmutter. I asked Iger if he'd heard from Peltz. I had a call from him, but I, I must say I, I, don't, I, I don't have specifics about what Nelson is, is really after or, or, or what he will ask for. I, I will say that, as is the case, has been the case in the past, uh, the management and the board will, is always willing to listen to what shareholders have to say. Uh, you know, we're in lockstep with, with the board in terms of our opportunities and our challenges and our strategic direction. We all feel very optimistic about the future of the company. Iger told me he was bullish about Disney's parks business, despite some weakness in Florida. And he also said that he is hopeful about a resolution coming soon in the Screen Actors Guild strike. And Melissa, you can find much more of my interview on CNBC.com. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, I feel like the question you have to ask at this point is, did we see the worst of it. Are we starting to see the other side of this Disney turnaround? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to, because I've said that before and it's yeah. been wrong. It's a couple things. So the free cash flow number was good, three and a half, three and a half billion dollars or so. I mean, this is now pre-COVID levels-ish. So good for them on that front. Seven and a half billion dollars up from five and a half billion dollars of cost cutting. Good for them. 
I'll say this, you know, this stock and Carter can speak to this series of lower highs and lower lows seemingly forever. That stopped in early October. when We traded down to 79, bounced to 86. This recent sell off didn't get us through those lows. It got us right back to 79. And here we are at 86. Technically, you get a close above 86 and a half, 87. It all starts looking pretty interesting for the first time in a long time. Going into earnings, you said a small long, right? In yeah, Disney. we put out a note uh-huh. per chance. And, you know, it was what you had said. I was very concerned about ad declines in legacy media. That's a joke. <laughs> no interest in that. Uh, point is that um, and, and the point is it, what Guy referred to. We were right at the COVID low, literally to the penny. So here's a stock that is at a point in time when the whole world had stopped. Right? Nothing was. And so, do you make a small bet, not a big bet, that it holds here at those lows? That was the bet. So we get a little pop today. But I think um, if you traded it before this, I would just take it the money and run. So if you look at he lost subscribers last time around, they gained subscribers this time around. But I thought the important line was 2024 profitability. If that's what the analysts are going to gauge now, then then we have some barometer for success. But I agree with Guy. If you get above 88, 90, the story substantively changes, but it's in a show me state. I need it to do something on the stock chart before I buy it. Yeah. Julie, do you think that the Disney story in terms of the challenges it faces in the legacy media in terms of ESPN's declining metrics, particularly operating margins on a declining, does that reverse with this quarter in your view? Those are the big overhangs, right, going into this quarter. Does this quarter, did it change anything? I, you know, it's good progress. I don't I don't think it's, you know, bad progress. At least we're, I think, in a more stable position, which I think is good. What's really difficult to know is what does this business look like as we start to kind of pull it apart? Who is going to be a buyer for some of these media assets? What is this future of sports? You know, their language that they use around sports in particular, to me, it sounds like a software business in terms of its aspirations of what it can be. And that always makes me a little bit nervous because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of structure to explain how you really make the sports business reach its full potential. And that's hard because it's just so much more competitive than it used to be. So I think overall, I think this is a positive quarter, a step in the right direction. But the underlying fundamental challenges of this business are still there. Competition is still a huge problem. And profitability out in 2024, it's great to put a marker in the sand, but that's a long way off and a lot can happen in between now and then. Like maybe a recession. Yeah, all fair points. No, listen, absolutely all fair points. She makes, uh, Steve said it as well. You wait for it to prove itself. The question is, you know, do you get ahead of that potential proving itself like a lot of the market participants are doing with the broader market? I actually think you can. And I'm with, listen, Carter can say you take the money and run. That's probably the right thing to do. But it has a different feel technically now. Again, close above 87. And I think you're going to start to gain momentum off the back of what was a pretty good quarter for them. Yeah, we're watching Disney, you know, kind of go a little bit higher in the after-hour session, up 3% growth. So, you know, we, we almost forget the difficulty that Disney had in reaching a deal with Charter Communications not too long ago and the huge concessions that it had to make um, and, and how maybe Disney reached a peak in terms of what it can charge, what it can exact from from the cable carriers. I'm, I'm starting to look at, just forget about that aspect of it. How about the reach a peak of what people are willing to pay? Because now all my streaming products cost me more than my linear TV. Cost me more than what the cable companies were charging me. So they're hitting a wall on pricing. And I think they need to, to, to 
actually break through that wall to show more profit. Having said that, when you look at what they're charging now, you have the ad tier, you have their, their non-ad tier, and then also they took a page out of Netflix. They said now they're going to crack down on password sharing. So maybe you're going to get to Guy's point, maybe the story will reflect it in the stock chart. But think about the parks. You have Shanghai and you have Hong Kong. Geopolitical. Those are a lot of headwinds. You brought it up. Recession. These tickets are not cheap. And if you're talking about a family getting on a plane, going to see one of these parks, Mm -hmm. there's a big caveat there. There's a huge gray area. To Julie's point, to my point about the 2024 profitability, a lot can happen. Are people going to dip in their pocket and and spend the money to do that? And it's still, and and maybe you guys can disagree, it's probably still just about streaming, right? Forget about the $28 from parks and products and whatever else. Right. So for someone who bought it today, what would you do tomorrow? Uh, If you bought it today, I would say let it ride. Let it ride out. You can't break price. It's too, that's too a short term for me. I wouldn't lock in a profit of, of 3%. Uh, for more on Disney's quarter, let's bring in Puck News' Matt Bellany. Matt, good to see you. Um, is this pop that we're seeing, you know, basically better than expected cost-cutting goals, some gains in subscribers? I mean, well, what is fueling this rise in your view? I think it's cost-cutting. I mean, the street has been pretty clear for the most part of this year that it wants to see profitability in streaming. It wants to see some significant cost cuts and Iger going up from five and change billion to seven and change billion. That's a message. And I think the strikes have helped where they have, you know, they've reduced costs, their free cash flow because of that uh, has, has increased. But I think that just the, the gesture of putting it out there that they are going to aggressively manage costs at Disney is what is causing this. Do you think that we hear anything about ESPN on this call with analysts? I think it's unavoidable. <clears throat> I mean, ESPN is the the 800-pound gorilla of Disney, or it has been for the past two decades, and it's pretty clear that it's challenged. They have been in the market looking for a deep-pocketed investor to come in to help supercharge ESPN and allow it to compete for some of these big sports rights that are coming up, particularly the NBA. That's going to be a, an extra large check that ESPN is going to have to write. And they're going to have to manage this transition over to streaming. And Igar says he wants ESPN to be the premier digital outpost for sports. That is not easy when you are competing with Apple, Amazon, Google, all of them. It's really going to be tough. And you're trying to rein in costs. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you think uh, Nelson Peltz factors in. December is when the nomin- when it when he's cleared to to start nominating his his uh, you know mm-hmm. people for for the board of directors. It's unclear how many seats he is after. Um, you know he had some impact before. It does seem though that Bob Iger has a list of goals and he's sort of um, working toward them at this point. So what, what's your sense of how that factors in? Well, two things. First, I do think the cost cutting is is due to some of the activism by Nelson Peltz and Ike Perlmutter and some of the others who have criticized Disney for the spending. But Iger is setting up a very nice contrast here because he's putting forth four specific goals that he has for this company and a way to do it, where it's managing the costs in film, figuring out the future of ESPN, you know, making sure that they are they are um, uh, cutting costs in other in other ways. 
Nelson Peltz isn't putting forward that specific plan. So it's a nice contrast for Bob Iger to say, I have a plan and I'm executing. What are you saying we should do? Do you think that we will look back on these days, you know, these past few months, whatever time period, and say that was the worst period for Disney? And we'll be on the other Mm. side. And this quarter marks that. Yeah, you know, uh, it's tough to be able to say that because there are some still significant challenge. They're releasing a movie this weekend, The Marvels, that is not expected to do very well. And that's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that has been untouchable until about the past year or so. They have to figure that out. They've got to figure out what they're doing with Lucasfilm and Star Wars. They have not had a Star Wars movie in five years. There's some tremendous creative challenges, especially on the film side. And on streaming, we don't really know what's going to happen between now and the end of 2024 when Iger says that he's going to reach profitability. Like you guys have said, if there's a recession, if there are other factors in the market that change the the calculus there, that could be a big miss. Matt, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Matt Bellany of Puck News. It sounds like that there are a lot of bigger challenges. Cost cutting is great for the here and for the now. But in terms of the long term strategic trajectory of the company, these other big issues that Matt had outlined, creative content, ESPN, legacy media, these are all much bigger things to tackle, Guy. You can't cost cut your way to, you know, a, a brand new Disney without question. I think we understand that. I don't think Matt's saying that either. I will say I'm reading. I don't know if this is true, but I'm seeing that there's talk about potentially reinstating a dividend here and they guided for free cash flow. So you're trying to I think in terms of this stock, it's been so decimated for all the right reasons, by the way, it deserved to be where it is. But if this is, in fact, an inflection point, which it feels to be with that said, I thought it was a couple quarters ago as well. But if you get above 87 and 88 or so, then the technicals start to kick in. We could wake up a month from now. This is a $98 stock without batting your eye. Meantime, the S&P and Nasdaq barely eking out gains to extend their winning streaks. The Nasdaq now up nine days in a row. The S&P higher eight straight days. The Dow, meantime, breaking a seven-day run, ending the day lower by just about one-tenth of a percent. Check out the move in the 10-year yield, touching four and a half percent after the Treasury's latest auction of $40 billion in bonds. Um, Rick Santelli gave it the equivalent of a failing. I think it was like a C or a D. Failing. Terrible. For you, not for you, good. a C is failing. In my household, correct. No, no, no. But not good. No, no, not good. C is, forget it. A B, a B is failing. That's just <laughs> something called a crystal clear. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, exactly. move up from, you move up from there. I'm sorry. Now, Steve has been talking about yields going lower. They've gone lower. I didn't, I mean, Carter and I had a conversation last Monday when Courtney was hosting. I thought the TLT could get up to 88 and a half, 89. It did that uh, earlier this week, and it did that again today. The move, the speed of the move is clearly caught me off guard. But Carter will say this as well. There's going to come a point where lower rates is not going to be good for the equity market. Lower rates are going lower because something as bad is happening in the economy. And it's still a market that's driven by fundamentals. So we might be at that line of demarcation of four and a half percent where it all starts to flip a little bit. We're holding in, though. We're holding in despite this very quick snapback in rates. Yeah. So, right. so if you think about the, the precondition before some of these recent moves, you have a very steep dollar, you have a very steep crude oil market, and you have a very steep 10 uh, year um, yield at 5%. Yields are cracking, oil is cracked, and the dollar after cracking is sort of backing and filling a bit of a pair of two. So the question is, ultimately, do equities give way? A lot of people say all the things you just said are the reasons for equities to go higher. They are until they aren't. And so our thinking is that ultimately equities will join the softness story rather than something else. Julie, you agree with that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of pressure, downward pressure. And if I think about things fundamentally speaking, it's really hard to get enthusiastic about this consumer. It's really hard to feel super sanguine on the level of credit. It's really hard to feel great about the level of leverage in some of these weaker businesses that were kind of zombie businesses in the pandemic. The only thing that really gives me a lot of confidence that it's not all going to fall apart is that we don't have the level of crazy euphoria that you typically have in big recessions where everyone is spending money like it's going out of style and there's just so much confidence. We don't have that. Earnings calls are timid. That's how I would describe you know, Q3. So at least we have that kind of as a buffer. Although, Grosso, you think MAG7 hangs in. So if MAG7 hangs in, it's it's a decent shot that the S&P will do okay. And you also have seasonality on your side as well. So as long as we don't have unemployment skyrocketing from here, the consumer is still in good shape. I think if the consumer is still in good shape, then the market is still in good shape. And for all the things that Guy and Carter said, rates going down right now are a tailwind until they're not. But I don't see that not coming until maybe the first quarter of the of the new year. This is a very bullish seasonality issue that we're dealing with right now. I'm curious, Carter, how do you view seasonality? Well, I would put that in the category of sort of data mining. You can get data to make any case you want, right? <laughs> um, there's something called the Stock Traders Almanac. I've handled it since I was 22 years old, and you can find, for instance, if the market goes up nine days in a row, what happens on the 10th day? You're all waiting. With, would you bet a whole lot on that? It's, it's a little bit of um, just numerology, maybe. So it's bogus. Well, I think it has patterns to it, but I wouldn't bet a whole lot of money on season. It's good until it isn't. Right. All right. Coming up, more moves in the after-hour session. Results for Arm, Instacart, MGM, and Lyft all filtering in. We'll bring you the details from those names next. And speaking of earnings, a few names on the move after results this morning. How you should trade W.K. Kellogg, Kellanova, and Ralph Lauren. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a pair of after-hours earnings movers for you. Lift lower despite a top and a bottom line uh, beat. But we start off with Arms' first earnings report as a public company. CNBC's Christina Partsnevelis got the details. Christina. Thank you. Well, what we're seeing is a double-digit revenue growth and the beginning signs of diversification away from mobile, where it's heavily concentrated, and towards PC, data center, and automotive. But the stock is reacting negatively, down about 7% to weak revenue forecast for this current quarter we're in right now. Shares are actually tra- uh, trading below its IPO price. Recall that it went public just in September 14th. Arms royalty revenue, which is a major stream, fell about 5% year-over-year, but licensing sales were up about 106% during that same time frame. Indicating maybe that ARM 
is selling increasing amounts of its technology to current customers, which is a key metric watched by a lot of analysts right now. RMCO on the earnings call saying that the most recent set of export rules, these are the export rules for China, don't have a large impact for ARM given their international presence. Management also saying they have good visibility of its licensing pipeline for the second half of their fiscal year, although there is uncertainty regarding the exact timing of some of those deals. Nonetheless, you can see shares dropping even more as the earnings call progresses. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina parts Nevelis. Uh, Guy Adami, what do you think of this quarter? Well, the quarter, I mean, the quarter's whatever. The guide is what should scare people a lot. And we, we had this conversation when they became a publicly traded company. I mean, at one point, this was a $70 billion market cap. We pointed out it was probably trading 27 to 25 times-ish revenue, which is absurd in my opinion. Even at current levels, it's still an expensive stock for a company that's basically it does $3 billion of revenue for the last three years. So you don't have a lot of growth. The guide is significant, I think. It should scare people at this valuation. They should have the commensurate growth to back it up, and they don't. And this is their first quarter as a publicly traded company out of the chute. I don't think that's particularly good. And, and they have to diversify away from smartphones. That's what Christina was talking about, about licensing fees and and, 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 everything, and everything else they had. Remember the headline with NVIDIA that they were working on an ARM-based chip for, for the PCs? That was, a, that was a huge tailwind for ARM when it first came out. I think everyone forgets about that because they have not diversified away from smartphones. So at this point, there's not a, a lot of historic data to look at a chart on ARM. So you have to sort of shoot from the hip at, uh, in semiconductors. Do you feel bullish or do you feel bearish on them? You have NVIDIA, you have AMD, you have Intel, you have Micron. You have a lot of other areas to go than placing a bet on an unknown name. I mean, that's exactly right. So you don't have a lot of price history, so there's no price to interpret. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is something that used to happen in the past when there were specialists. The specialist firms and the market makers would never allow a stock to break IPO right. price. They would defend it at all costs because it was egg on the face. Also, you've, you've disappointed investors whom you've just placed uh, this issue in their, in their accounts. But all of those things are off now, and breaking price is just that, another mess up. All right. Let's move on to another after-hours mover. Shares of Lyft dropping despite strong results. Guidance also coming in better than expected. The earnings call is underway. CNBC's Deidre Bosa's got the latest. Debo. Mel, uh, the stock is paying losses. It was down as much as 5% after the results. Adjusted EBITDA outlook, as you said, it was better than expected. But perhaps some questions about market position weighing. Since the new CEO, David Risher, took over, he's been more aggressive on pricing. And that has one lift back some of the market share that it conceded to Uber over the last few years. Still, though, revenue this quarter grew 10% versus Uber's 33% mobility growth. In active riders, they came in lower than the street expected. Now, the company did give some color on the current quarter so far, describing a, quote, terrific October. They said they set records in terms of gross bookings, rides, and driver hours in the weeks in and surrounding Halloween. Now, the call cooked off, kicked off about 20 minutes ago. CEO David Risher, he talked about their relatively new advertising business, which he called still small and early, but where he sees a ton of potential Guys, it's kind of funny. Every gig company is now building a high-margin ad business to help pay for what has turned out to be low-margin cores. Tomorrow, we're going to talk more to CEO David Risher in the 10 a.m. Eastern hour. He'll give us more information, more highlights from the quarter. Mel? And Deidre, I got to ask you about the move in Instacart. It was up as much as was 7-plus percent today, and then it gave up most of the gains. What happened? 
I'm just looking at it right now. Yeah, it's it gave up a lot of those gains. I'm not sure because I was on the lift call, but let me look into this. I know that advertising was seen as a strength. It was up some 19% on the quarter, but I have to assume that it was something set on the call. So I'll check in on that one now. All right. Thank you, Dee. Debo, who's always all over it. All right. So what do we make of this? By the way, it's called Maple Bear. That's why it's up there. <laughs> it, 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 I saw that and I thought it was going to be. I didn't know about the Maple Bear. Um, you know, but isn't this a test that we just heard from two companies that beat, it was good. There's no such thing as good or bad earnings. There's only earnings, <laughs> and it's how I the agree. stock reacts. And guess what? They're both down. So whatever they said, you don't even get on the call, it's bad. That's it. They're right. both down. Bad. Yeah. So when you, when you look at Lyft, everyone always compares Lyft and Uber. And obviously the market, it, it, it's, it's, it's actually pretty – I, I, I fun or ironic or however what you want to you want to say it. Uber is up 100 percent year to date. The Lyft is down three percent year to date. If you look on a on a one year basis, Uber's up 80 percent and Lyft is down two percent. So to Carter's point, the market has interpreted the market has has ruled on this. Uber's the winner. They have a lot more levers to pull. They have a lot more scale, a lot more size. So if they're if they're basing it on an ad revenue basis, they're going to be a lot more successful than a Lyft is going to be at this point in this in in their existence as public companies. Julie, just quickly on either Lyft or Instacart. You know, I love the point about all of these companies are using advertising as a way to make business models work. It's it's not even just, you know, gig work. Amazon, too, is one of the largest ad marketplaces. And it's fascinating to me that those are the economics that we're seeking after the promise of these wonderful new business models. They haven't panned out. Yeah. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. It's not all about the after-hours moves. We're getting a read on the consumer from a couple of staples and retail names. We'll dig into those moves next. Plus, weight loss leads to stock gains. A big win for Eli Lilly after a key decision from the FDA. What the move will mean for the blockbuster obesity drug market. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look at some of the big earnings movers uh, from during the session. W.K. Kellogg and its spinoff, Kellanova, both beating in the top of the bottom lines. The company's splitting just a little over a month ago. Oh, nice pops. But they have been dismal mm. charts, to put it nicely, Carter. Yes. Oh, well, let's talk about the Kellanova, the, the K, the one with the great single letter <laughs> symbol, the original. So if you go back to the beginning of sector data as we know it now, Standard & Poor's 1989, K has underperformed the consumer staples sector by fivefold, or mm. said different. Five I mean, fold? literally, the sector is 5x what the stock is. So this stock, competing against Clorox and Coke and Pepsi and Procter Gamble, and you pick it, has, has been beaten 5x. It's, it's pathetic. That, that, why get involved? So it's stunk since the beginning of time. Stunk since the Consistency. Consistency. Yeah. That's what, that's what, it's like that's what you look for. <laughs> 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 no I'll say, no, well, quickly. 
You know, organic growth in this space is code word for, you know, we can pass on our costs to the consumer, just so we understand. And they missed. 3.9% consensus was 4.3. So they're starting to have to eat costs, number one, which is not good. Means margins come down. In terms of levels, I mean, Carter will point this out. We're at levels we saw in the spring of 2019, which is remarkable given the backdrop of the broader market. So if you're looking to trade it, maybe risk-reward sets up against that low, but there's nothing compelling here whatsoever, in my opinion. All right, let's get to the retail side of this. Ralph Lauren also popping after an earnings beat, but the company reporting softer consumer demand in its wholesale channel, one of many retailers giving weak guidance today. Wholesale channel, um, department stores, other places where you might go buy this brand, not the Ralph Lauren store, Julie. This is not a surprise but it's a continuation of a theme. Yeah, it's, it's almost surprising, right? It's very hard to wean yourself off of the department store channel, right? It's a large buyer. It's an easy you know, transaction to do. It's very efficient. But when it starts to fall apart in terms of its ability to generate consumer traffic, you're in a world of hurt. And so they don't really have the store base in order to be able to drive that business somewhere else. And so I think it's a recognition that their ability to, to, to really control their own supply chain, their own ability to reach consumers is up to them. It's going to take time for that to happen. And of course, that they are exposed to the consumer in a big way. We think of it only as kind of the high end, but it's actually the majority of its profitability is really in the mid-level, which is the part that I think is the most at risk. Right. We've got a news alert here in Morgan Stanley, the company's international wealth management group drawing some scrutiny. Christina Parts and Levelist has got the details. Christina. Yeah, the Fed is hammering down on its wealth management uh, practices. They did give some warnings to Morgan Stanley, and the Fed is now saying that they're reprimanding or privately reprimanding the bank for not making changes or all the changes that it has required, more specifically to prevent rich foreign customers from laundering money at the bank. So the Fed has been looking into this for the last few years or so. They found that Morgan Stanley is not uh, you know, changing their practices. And so this is why uh, we are getting this latest report from The Wall Street Journal saying that they're cracking down even more and uh, scrutinizing the wealth management arm. All right. Christina, thank you. Christina Parts Coming up, more after hours action coming your way. A firm and MGM on the move after reporting will bring you the numbers from the quarter straight ahead. But first, a huge announcement out of the FDA with Eli Lilly's blockbuster weight loss drug getting a big thumbs up from regulators. What will it mean for the stock and the entire industry? Fast Money's back right after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P continuing its longest winning streak in two years, up eight straight days, while the Nasdaq is now up nine days in a row. Some more stocks out with results take two higher after a revenue beat. A firm jumping after posting a top and bottom line beat and shares of Twilio also higher after beating expectations. And we're getting some updates on what was behind Instacart's reversal. Deidre Bosa's got more on this. Dee. Hey, Melissa. So on the conference call that's still ongoing, uh, management said that in the fourth quarter, expect transaction revenues as a percent of gross transaction value to remain flat quarter over quarter. And this really calls into some concern that top line growth that was even a concern when the company was listing going through the IPO process in that core delivery business, especially versus rivals that we've heard from already this earnings season, like Uber and DoorDash. Uber delivery revenue grew some 6%. DoorDash total revenue was up 27%. So that may be behind it, but still marginally positive. Mel. 
All right. Debo, thanks for coming back to us with the update. Deidre Bosa. Meantime, Eli Lilly posting a record close today after U.S. and U.K. regulators approved its blockbuster drug, Terzepatide, to treat obesity in adults. The drug was already approved for type 2 diabetes management. Lilly saying in a press briefing today it expects the drug to hit pharmacy shelves in the U.S. after Thanksgiving under the name ZepBound. But a global launch could take as much as 18 months based on regulator approvals. Our next guest calls obesity indication approval the final piece of the puzzle for Lilly's weight loss drug rollout. Jeff Meacham is the senior pharmaceutical analyst at B of A Securities. Jeff, great to have you with us. Hey, thank you, Melissa. Good to see you. I, I think it's interesting. This, I mean, you know, it was widely expected that this would get approval as an obesity drug, and yet the stock still goes higher. So what piece of it had not been factored in, or is this just the knee-jerk reaction to it's finally done, and so we're still going to bid the stock higher? I think there's a little bit of anxiety about um, the ultimate approval, whether it was going to happen, you know, in November or December. But, yeah, you're right. There is no question about the about the approval. I think really now the formality of it is that you'll start to see, you know, DTC advertising. You'll see a ton more commercial really laying out, I think, this year. So there's a lot of excitement, I think, for the, you know, for the rollout. They also announced a savings uh, card which basically lowers the price for uninsured folks. I mean, like Novo, you know, if you're insured, you can get the drug for like 25 bucks for a month or three month prescription under the, uh, you know, according to Eli Lilly. But if you're not, the savings program could mean a lot. Does this differ at all from Novo? Is this going to help them in the market? I think they're going to look a lot more alike than different mm-hmm. in terms of the, uh, the commercial strategies. You know, we're not really looking till 2025 to see broader Medicare access, you know, I think for the next, say, two years or so, it's really going to be about, you know, the commercial piece. Uh, and there was there, they had a lot of success. Lily did um, in, uh, in diabetes. And I don't expect that to be any different for this obesity rollout. I mean, the big sort of, uh, you know, event that's coming up is the uh, presentation of the of the full uh, select data from Novo Nordisk That's over right. this weekend. What specifically will you be looking for? The headline data was very impressive. It sent shares higher by, I think, 9% that very day for Novo. Yep. Um, so, so what specific data points are you looking for? You know, overall, you're right. Uh, the, uh, it's a 20% plus, you know, cardiovascular benefit. Uh, we're looking for different subgroups, right? So are the benefit uh, in things like, you know, stroke or heart attack, is that higher than 20%? Is it 30%? I think the main message coming out of uh, Select and coming out of the AHA meeting this weekend will be, you know, well, it's not just about weight loss. It's also about, you know, a whole broad uh, swath of, uh, of cardiovascular benefits. And that's going to be, I think, a big part of the commercial piece. And maybe the marketing down the road, too, should it be included in, in the label uh, for, uh, for Wagovi. Yeah, Jeff, you mentioned the catchy jingles. I don't need another song. I'm watching my Nick game. Tell me about my blood sugar levels. But okay, I'll give you that. But let me ask you this. You can't model in terms of EPS and EPS growth and where they trade currently. You have to say this is a $57 billion revenue company on the way to north of 100, given everything we just talked about. I mean, what's the revenue growth trajectory here? I think that's that's exactly right. So the, the peak here you know, easily, I think, could be something in the, you know, 50 to $80 billion range. I mean, when you look at just uh, you know, Monjaro um, plus ZepBound, uh, and just the core indications, we can get to, you know, something in the $50 billion range. We're not including really anything in sleep apnea or liver disease or heart failure. There's a lot of related indications that could really take, you know, revenue forecasts up pretty dramatically. Also, uh, you know, the, the oral 
which is in the next gen. Um, I guess it were a Zep, a Zep bound. Probably won't be until 2026, but those are other new products from Lilly that are going to take, you know, numbers, I think, even higher. The next generation Retachertide, I mean, what is the, how, how much better is this and in what way is it better? Well, so it's a higher rate of weight loss. It could be something in the 25 to even 35 percent range. But um, what I would say, though, is it's not meant for, you know, for the, the average consumer. I would say most lower BMI people will probably want an oral. Uh, the folks that are on an injected drug will, are probably, you know, something in the, say, 30 to, you know, 40 even BMI. But it's a really high BMI folks that are maybe more acute need that would want, you know, this drug called Triple G, right? So, uh, but again, we still have to work out the, the phase three profile. Uh, that's still in clinical development and data probably coming out, you know, sometime, uh, I'd say, beginning of 25. All right. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have your analysis. Thank you. Jeff Meacham of Bank of America. Uh, Julie, where do you stand on that? I mean, it's there are so many of these catalysts that line up. Even the FDA approval, just the FDA approval of terzepatide sent the stock even higher. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just it's the only place in healthcare that's working. Everything else has just been completely decimated. I mean, separately, I think that we should make a rule that whenever they come up with a drug, they have to name the firstborn at that company that name. These names are totally ridiculous. I cannot keep track of any of them. They're bizarre. And then think how fun it would be if, like, you had to up your dose of, like, Samantha, 20 milligrams. I need to add to, like, my Charlie another 50 milligrams. It would be great, right? I think it's a good idea. How do you know there's no Zepbound? Little Zepbound running yeah. around. I mean, you have honestly you don't in really Santa Monica. There might be honestly I in mean, Santa Monica, California. There probably is. Could be. I upped my dose of Samantha in high school, and it didn't work out <laughs> that well for me. But if you if you look at Lily, Lily's up seventy percent year to date. Novo is up 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 fifty percent year to date or thereabouts. Amgen hasn't moved, and they're going to have an oral dosage sometimes. So you have a lot of green to play on that one. But just remember, when you go to oral, very taxing on the liver, so it's easier to do injectable, even though it's, uh, it doesn't seem easier. Just because a stock has gone up a lot, Carter, doesn't mean it can't go up some more. That's right? correct. Sometimes How does it look? steady uptrends turn into para parabolic uh, overshoots, and so this is not parabolic. It's uh, not. No, it would. Mm. You know, this is what I would characterize as a hold. Now, there's something called a proper hold. And then on Wall Street, hold is a euphemism for sell. Only 5% of all mm -hmm. stocks are rated sell. They say hold because they don't want to offend the IR department. They don't want to get disinvited from the next junket. But this is a proper hold. If you own it, you hold it. All right. Mel, remember we had Lizzie Evans here the other day? Yeah, she yeah. was sitting right over there. Yeah, yeah. Remember Making this? the case for Novo. No, but no, 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 hold, but hold on a second. Right. And then remember what she said? Because that surprised me. What? She said, Guy, you said something really smart yesterday on the show, which I was know. shocking. I couldn't but what believe we, it. But, nor, nor could I. But what we talked about is you know, every time we've seen a sell-off in this stock, people run from it don't. It's given you an opportunity. It continues to do exactly that. Coming up, crude oil chaos. Black gold has seen better days as the commodity crumbles. How should you play the space? The chart master's here with the details ahead. But first, we've got some more after-hours action for you. MGM on the move after reporting earnings. That stock is up by 1.6%. Those trades and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of MGM Resorts higher after hours after its quarterly earnings beat. The conference call is underway. CNBC's Contessa Brewer has got more. Contessa. Well, Melissa, CEO Bill Hornbuckle just said on the call, we went to hell and back with what we went through with the cyber attack. 
Still, MGM Resorts beat expectations in regionals in Las Vegas and in Macau, where it set new third quarter records by various metrics. It announced a new $2 billion buyout, buyback rather, and said that will be the preferred method of returning cash to shareholders rather than dividends in the future. Hornbuckle also says in Macau they're making changes to the gaming floor to take advantage of the additional tables they have been awarded and embracing new opportunities in mass and premium mass customer segments, encouraging new international visitation. He says they're negotiating right now with the Culinary Union in Las Vegas and says when that deal is done, the union workers will see the biggest pay raise ever, something that we heard similar from Caesars, which completed their deal today. But he says the Las Vegas results are more than enough to compensate for those wage pressures. On F1 next week, Hornbuckle says he's expecting 50 percent better returns than any event they've ever hosted. There's a lot of excitement around that. I'm heading to Las Vegas next week. Melissa, I'll see it firsthand. Yeah, and uh, it's the week after F1, right, Contessa? So that should be interesting to see how the F- city yeah, gets F- through that. F1 next week, and then mm-hmm. we head into New Year's, which always is a big deal, and then Super Bowl after that. Yeah, just quickly, Contessa, in terms of the plans for the Middle East. Yeah, because they're up against now when going in and developing this new resort in the UAE. They say in Dubai there are big plans. Right now they are just a, a leisure management company there. But if casinos come on board and they think it's very possible that will happen, that they would be in full, fully in, ready to place equity down in a casino. Wow. Contessa, thank you. Sure. Contessa Brewer. Guy, what's the trade here? $2 billion buyback on a $13 billion market cap is significant. $51 November of 21, traded up again there in July. Double top, sold up. But since then, you're in this uptrend from 2019, which quite frankly is intact. I think you can own this stock on the back of this quarter. I think it's pretty good. Coming up, down goes crude. Oil prices crumbling below the $75 mark for the first time since late July. What is next for investors and drivers everywhere? The details right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude has been in free fall since late September, down nearly 20 percent from recent highs, tumbling below $75 a barrel today, the first time since late July. So where is oil heading? Let's ask the chart master, mm. Carter. So it's an interesting juncture. Um, we ourselves, just for what it's worth, we published a note today say we're closing the short. And so the short from uh, late uh, September, we're down uh, almost $20 a barrel. And at this point, uh, I would just be flat, which is to say, just because it's down doesn't make it a long playing for a bounce, but it is down enough where I think it's a bit overstaying one's welcome mm-hmm. uh, to retain shorts. Yeah. What do you think, Russ? So I think the uh, the SPR is probably going to be replenished, and and, and the, the administration hasn't done a great job. They've telegraphed it so people jump in and buy oil. I think Carter was right to close out that position because I think there's going to be some stability in the price of oil. And those large integrated names haven't performed very well, even with all the M&A that's going on. So you have to sort of fish through and see who's going to be the next candidate to be bought out. But ExxonMobil, Chevron, their charts to me seem very bearish. I would stay out of energy right now. Mm. Julie? You know, I always stay out of energy. It's just so hard to find businesses that aren't commoditized. And so it's never a space that I'm very interested in. Yeah. Although, Guy, I think that you you would say, yeah, I've, no matter well, where crude oil is, these stocks can do well. No, but it's, it seems to me now, 
kudos to Steve and Carter. They've been on this. I'll say this. It feels as though somebody or some group of companies are getting absolutely blown up. Short bonds, long energy, probably long the dollar as well. And there's been this massive unwind that probably technology is getting a lot of the sort of the kickback for. And you're seeing it in terms of the stock prices. But fundamentals really haven't changed that much. And I was one of the people that thought when you heard all that M&A announcement, that would be the next catalyst higher. That was wrong. But it doesn't mean it's not going to happen at some point. So I would stay with the space despite its pullback. It wasn't too long ago we were saying that Saudis are going to want to push oil to yeah. 100. And that was almost a foregone conclusion. Yet here we are. Carter, I'm just curious, is there anything in the charts that tells you that this is you know, as Guy points out, maybe a, a move that was a, a technical move of some sort because of positioning versus just a you the know, move, move in crude was just it's the equal and opposite moment of May and June. It's sixty five dollars a barrel, uh, hard landing recession. Crude's going to 50. There's something called recency, and we're all sometimes uh, prone to fall into that trap. And then, of course, when it starts getting to 80, 85, oh, it's going to $100 a barrel. It, when it just, it's sequencing. Sometimes you get too far in one direction or the other, and then it's right to say, hey, we'll get the move the other way. And the truth is, oil is always in a trading range. And then the geopolitical aspect of it, we were worried about the war in the, in the Middle East escalating, and it hasn't done that. So the commodity always overshoots on any type of risk uh, to what, to what uh, Carter is saying. But the sweet spot for the Saudis, for the Russians, for everyone is probably in the 80s, because once it gets to 100, it gets too expensive and people back away from it. And then you see that demand shock happen. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Julie Beal. You know, I really am thinking about high quality right now with this much uncertainty and ANSYS, the simulation software is where you want to be. Steve Brasso. Arista Networks was a final trade for me October 27th. It went from 176 to 216. Take profits. Carter Braxton Worth. Walmart at all time highs. Take profits. Oh, not the same as short. Uh, I'd, I'd do with new money short. All right, guy. Ooh. Contessa gets I, to go to Vegas. I know. I mean, it's fantastic. Here we go. That F1 thing, Sarah Eisen's got that doc. A documentary, yeah, next week. A good, for, good for Sarah, by the way. If you can't go to Vegas, buy Wynn Resorts. Next best thing. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information.
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.